Uh, the number of days that elapse between creation and the fall is unknown. But based on what I've observed of human nature, I doubt it was too many. Uh, perhaps a few days or weeks, maybe even a few months. But by the time Adam and Eve set their eyes on that tree, it was no time before the sweet juice of forbidden fruit was running down their chin. It's kind of hard to believe, isn't it? Well, not so much. Because most of us know all too well that our natural instinct screams pursue, not deny what is pleasing to the eye. And what began as a world with just one forbidden tree quickly became a world with a, a stand of forbidden fruit on every single corner. In fact, by the time Paul wrote Timothy, the city of Ephesus, like every major ancient city, was a marketplace of the forbidden. Every vice known to man was available to those who were living in that city. And while false teaching was certainly a threat to the church, Paul understood that an equal, if not a greater threat, was the allure of the forbidden. And so he wrote to Timothy and he said, Timothy, one of your responsibilities in being a good minister of Jesus Christ is to keep before the church front and center, the pursuit of godliness. In fact, he wrote these words in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 6, if you point these things out to the brothers, you'll be a good minister of Christ Jesus. Point out what things, Paul? Well, there are several things, but all that pertain to this great call that we read in verse 7. Train yourself to be godly. Godliness was the goal that Paul told Timothy to keep before the church. It was the goal that he was to pursue. And it's the goal that we are to pursue as well. Now, you talk about setting the bar high. That, that's pretty high, isn't it? In many ways, it feels like that bar is set way too high. Be like God every single day in every single way. And. It seems to me that the odds of me achieving the goal that I set when I was a 12-year-old boy to one day date Christy Brinkley are better than the odds of fulfilling that particular goal of godliness. Now, many of you may not know that reference. She was a supermodel, an actress back when I was a kid, and I set that goal. But what do you tend to do when you realize that a goal is not reachable? You reset the bar, right? You put it at a place that is reachable. And so when it finally dawned on me that meeting that goal of one day dating Christy Brinkley was out of reach, I reset my bar. And I set the bar at dating a girl that would resemble Christy Brinkley if she got braces and a nose job and found a tanning bed. And when I realized that goal was out of my reach, I reset the bar to one day date a girl by the name of Christy. And when I realized that goal was out of reach, I reset the bar to one day go on a date with a girl. <laughs> now, I, like many of you, have done the exact same thing when it comes to this goal of godliness. We've reset the bar. We've set the bar at a goal that we feel like is maybe a little more reachable, and that's to be slightly more godly than our unbelieving neighbor. 
We're certainly not the first of God's people to attempt to reposition the bar. This is something the Pharisees attempted to do, but Jesus wouldn't get, allow them to get away with it. And so Jesus said to those spiritual leaders, he said, hey, listen, you've set the bar at not killing each other, but let me tell you where the bar really belongs. Don't get angry with your brothers and sisters. You set the bar at not sleeping with another woman that is not your wife. But let me tell you where the bar really belongs. It belongs at not looking lustfully at another woman. You've set the bar at doling out equitable justice, but let me tell you where the bar really belongs. Turn the other cheek. You set the bar at, well, loving your neighbor and hating your enemy, but let me tell you where the bar really belongs. It belongs at loving your enemy and praying for those who persecute you. And then finally, Jesus says, just so there's no misunderstanding whatsoever, here's where the bar really belongs. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Then a few years later, Paul comes along and he says, hey, just so there's no misunderstanding about where the bar really belongs, Timothy, church at Ephesus, Sean, be godly. Be godly. Now, how does one possibly reach this goal? The only way it's possible is through the power of the Holy Spirit, but it definitely demands more than good intentions or a half-hearted effort on our parts. And so Paul uses language within this passage that brings to mind that the effort that a serious athlete puts into reaching a goal. He writes in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 7 and then in verse 9 and 10, train yourself to be godly. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. That is why we labor and strive. Paul uses three, three words in this text that brings to mind that, that effort that an athlete puts into achieving their goal. The first word he uses is train, which literally means to exercise. And, and then he goes on and he says this word, labor. And it refers to working to the point of, of weariness. And then he uses the word strive. And it carries the idea that you're going to exert your very last ounce of energy. He said so that's what it means to pursue or to train for godliness. Now I want us to think for just a moment, Honestly, are you putting in that type of efforts in pursuit of reflecting the nature of God? I, I would argue that most of us, self-included, have a training regiment that looks more like a swanky private club member, gym club member, than a serious athlete. You ever been to one of those neon lit, juice sipping, 250 a month, dew pan, no sweat dripping places. <laughs> Who are those people kidding, right? They may be doing enough to ease their conscience, but they're not in serious training. The serious athletes, you find those individuals at places like a Gold's Gym or CrossFit or a boxing club. They're busting their tail from the moment they walk in to the moment they walk out. When they walk out, they're stinky, they're sweaty, they're sore, they're far too tired to go have a latte at Starbucks with their friends. That's the type of effort that they put in. And I question at times, who am I kidding? 
I go to a church service for a couple hours a week, a few moments of devotion and a private Bible study time, maybe volunteer an hour or two a month, give a couple of bucks to a reputable charity. Maybe it's enough to ease the conscience, but it's not serious training. And what has this produced? This lack of going through the motions and not serious training will, by and large, it's produced 90-pound spiritual weaklings whose lack of spiritual training has resulted in an insecure relationship with their God, with their theology, with their community, and their world. 90-pound spiritual weaklings who come no closer to reflecting the nature of God than those who do not know God. If ever there was a time that this call to train yourself to be godly was relevant, it is today. And I want you to notice what Paul does. He not only tells Timothy to train himself to be godly, but then he assumes the role of personal trainer. And he tells him and he tells us exactly what will be required for training to produce the type of results that we're after. For any type of training to be productive, it really requires knowledge of how to train, and it also requires a motivation to train. And so what Timothy does is he begins with talking about how, how do you train? And here's where he starts. He reminds Timothy, he reminds us as well, that it begins with proper nutrition. Now, just about every serious athlete understands this. They know the foundation of being in peak physical condition is to eat well. It is to have a nutritious, balanced diet. That's absolutely crucial. And you can run two miles a day, but if you stop at Five Guys and eat a cheeseburger and large fries at the end of that run, it's not going to do any good, right? And so a serious athlete is fanatical about making sure they get in, what, five balanced meals a day that's a proper mix of proteins and carbs. They're just dedicated to that. Why? Because they understand that sets the foundation. It's what's necessary to have good health. And so it is with training to be godly. But spiritual nourishment is the foundation for godliness. And this is what Timothy had been brought up on. Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 6, if you point these things out to the brothers, you'll be a good minister of Christ Jesus brought up in the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you followed. Timothy had been brought up. He had been nourished on the teachings of the Old Testament, especially as they related to the Christ. He had also been nurtured on the gospel story, the story of Jesus. And Paul's use of language in this text indicates that, hey, Timothy, I want you to continue with this pattern. I want you to continue to nourish yourself by spending time in the truths of Scripture, good teaching, the words of faith. And it's vitally important for us as well. I'm convinced that it's malnourishment that's one of the principal reasons there's a little difference in the character between those who are followers of Jesus Christ and those who are not. Studies indicate that the typical Christian spends very little time nourishing themselves on the Word of God. Now, studies indicate that very few Christians have a dedicated plan for spending time in personal Bible study. And so what that means is this, is that by and large, the majority of Christians are absolutely dependent upon what they're fed once a week during a worship service or during a Bible class. 
That's a little bit crazy, isn't it? I mean, think about this. How many of us would believe that we can nourish ourselves once a week at our favorite buffet? We just fill ourselves up to the, to the max, and we're going to be okay for the rest of the week. So, no, we, we would never do that, right? But that's exactly what many of us do spiritually. And so as we enter into this new year, I want to encourage you, really want to encourage you to make a commitment that you're going to spend time in the study of God's Word on your own throughout the week, nourishing yourself on the words of faith and on the truth of Scripture, because this sets the foundation for godliness and reaching this goal that we're all after of reflecting the nature of Jesus Christ. Now, world-class athletes also recognize the nourishment is important, but just as important, if not more so important, is time spent in the gym. And so Paul goes on, he says this to Timothy, train, or the word is gymnasia, to be godly. And so what does spiritual training look like? Well, it is the decision to move from the theory of godliness to the practice of godliness. It's making the decision that no longer will I settle for a good discussion about the historical context of Jesus' command to go the second mile. I'll make the decision that I'm actually going to serve people beyond what's expected. It's making the decision that no longer will I settle at marveling at Jesus' commitment to spend time alone with the Father, but I will actually set a rhythm in my life in which I fast and I meditate and I pray on a regular basis. It means this, it means no longer will I settle for nodding my head in agreement when we read a text like Colossians chapter 3 and verse 13, forgive as the Lord forgave you, but instead I will wake up each day and I will choose to forgive those who have wronged me. And you say, Smith, what you're talking about is really, really hard. No doubt it is extremely difficult. But it's so important, and here's why. Because 90-pound spiritual weaklings do not become peak athletes simply by reading a copy of Men's Fitness. And trust me, I've tried on this, right? And so the same thing goes with our spirituality. It doesn't happen just by listening to the Word of God. You actually have to put it into practice. That's one of the reasons some of us, self-included, are not at the point of godliness that we want to be. It's because too often when we get a, a difficult call of God placed on our lives, we decide that's great to discuss in a small group Bible study, but actually putting it into practice, that's a little bit too difficult. But I want us to understand this morning that any type of transformation, be it physical transformation or spiritual transformation, it takes place when heavy tension is applied and you manage to push through it. You have to push through it. That's how a frail little woman became the poster child for so many for godliness. Mother Teresa recognized the example of Jesus washing the disciples' feet was not just a nice story to reflect upon, but it was a way of life to be lived. Even if it meant that she had to practice this in a, 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 a poverty-stricken, disease-infected, stench-filled place. And so as you enter into 23, I want to encourage you to think about what you need to push through this year. What do you need to push through? 
But maybe every time you've been bumping up against it, it's been a little bit too difficult, and so you just backed away from it. What do you need to push through? It may be the catalyst for tremendous growth for this coming year. Now, just as a lack of focus has been the downfall for many an athlete, Paul knew that could be the case for Timothy spiritually. And so he offered Timothy a warning. He said to Timothy in verse 7, he said, Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. The first century world of Timothy and Ephesus, it was a place where there's just a lot of things, a lot of information that you could get invested in, spend a lot of time on. There are these myths and old wives' tales, and, and they were interesting, and they were entertaining, and, and you could delve into those, but, but, Tim, but Paul said to Timothy, hey, just don't mess around with that stuff. Well, why not? Well, Paul says because it's godless. And that doesn't necessarily mean it's profane, but what it simply meant was this. It didn't have anything to do with God. It, it wasn't going to move you closer to God, Timothy, and so don't waste your time with that kind of stuff. But there's a second reason that he said that is because it wasn't based on truth. It was speculative. It was legendary in nature. So you're, you're not gaining anything from this, Timothy, if you spend time on this kind of stuff. And not getting caught up in what is pointless and worthless is a huge challenge today, isn't it? It's one that many of us struggle with. In fact, in a, a study a few years ago by the Nielsen Agency, they reported that Americans now spend at least six hours a day just watching videos. They also reported in that same study that Americans today, they spend over half their day in media. It might be video games, it might be social media, uh, it might be just time spent on the internet. We spend all this time on all this activity. And I understand it can be entertaining, right? I mean, it's a lot of fun watching dog videos and playing Candy Crush and arguing with people on Facebook and investigating the latest conspiracy theory. But imagine how much closer to godliness we might be if we decided, you know what, we're going we're gonna to cut out a little bit of that and we're going to spend time in prayer. We're going to spend time in Bible study. We're going to visit those who are sick. We're going to feed the hungry. We're going to comfort the grieving. We're going to work for justice. The start of a new year, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to take a hard look at how you're spending your time. And really analyze it. Take a look at what your time is going towards. Is your day filled with the type of activities that move you closer to God? Are they filled with the type of activities that distract you or maybe even move you further away from God? And I want to encourage you to be intentional about this, because if you're not intentional about this, you'll default to your favorite time waster. And so maybe you even need to do what many people do with their finances to try to get a handle on what's really happening. Maybe even this week, first year, week of the year, just write down every day in 15-minute blocks how you're using your time and really get a good look, a good understanding of where your time is being spent and maybe how you can better use that time. Now, not only does Paul tell Timothy how to train, but he also shares with him motivation to train. Now, this is the time of year when motivation is at a peak, right? I mean, 
This is the time of year where every single gym across the Bay Area is filled with people who are wearing the latest athletic gear, and they've started the latest diet fad, and they signed up for the most intense spin class. That's the way it's going to be from January to March. But then come March, many of these people will be nowhere to be found, right? Now, what happens between January and March in which that becomes the case where people just disappear? Here's what happens. People come to the realization that healthy food is tasteless, weights are heavy, and cardio activity makes you feel like you're going to die. And so they do what any rational human being will do. They quit. They just quit. And oftentimes that's what happens to us spiritually as well. We get really motivated, we get really excited at the beginning of the year, we set some new goals and expectations for Bible study or involvement or things like that, and then it just kind of it phases out. So you need something more than excitement, you need more than just the start of a new year, you need some type of truth that's going to motivate you to continue moving forward when everything in you wants to quit. So what is it that will inspire us to pray and read scripture when really we want to watch another episode of Netflix? What's going to motivate us to serve others when we feel like it's our turn to be served? And what's going to motivate us to say no to sin when there's that part of us that wants to give in to sin? Well, Paul says to Timothy this, verse 8, for spiritual training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Paul claims that there's a payoff both in the present life and the life to come if you train for godliness. There's something that you can count on here. You say, what kind of payoff? Well, let's begin with the payoff or the blessing we can look forward to in this life. When we are striving with every ounce of our being to correctly relate to God in the way we worship and in the way that we serve Him, the result will be a far more meaningful relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's this David reminds us of that our soul longs for, an intimate relationship with God. He says in Psalm chapter 63 and verse 1, O God, you are my God, Earnestly I seek you, my soul thirsts for you, my body longs for you, in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Second, when we expend our last ounce of energy, striving to serve in the name of Christ and with the love of Christ, we will have a profound impact on this world. And it is when we have a profound impact on this world that our soul comes to life because this is one of the very purposes that we've been created for. And so here's the payoff for the here and now, he says. There's this intimate relationship with God as you're training for godliness. And there's this impact on the world that your soul longs to have if you're, if you're pursuing this training for godliness. But what about in the life to come? Now listen, we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But the payoff for training for godliness now, becoming like God now, is greater responsibility in the kingdom of God when it's fully realized. And this is the conclusion that Jesus leads us to in the parable of the talents. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 25, verse 28 through 29, 
So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. And whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is the truth that I hope will inspire us. It is the reality that the investment you make now in training for godliness is preparing you for all that God desires to bless you with in the kingdom that is to come. May that inspire us to train with greater dedication than we ever have before in this year, 2023. Now, I realize for some of us, self-included, as you go through a message like this from me, there's a lot of guilt and there's a lot of shame because you can pinpoint where you failed this past year, maybe even in recent weeks. You understand that's not the person I want to be. And that's not the person that God's created me to be. And I want to be better. And sometimes that shame can be overwhelming. And I think it's used by Satan to try to keep us right where we have been. And that's not where we want to be. And so I want to remind each and every one of us this morning, it is, it's a new start, not just because it's a new year. That's not why it's a new start. It's a new start because of what we did just a few moments ago. It's a new start because our Savior Jesus surrendered his life. He bled, he died, and he was resurrected so that our sins might be washed away. And yes, there is a time to have to say, God, we're grateful for that grace, and we're thankful for that grace, but we've misused the grace, and we want to start again. And so maybe that is a time for us to take this morning. And so I want to pause for just a moment and give us time to pray individually, asking if we need to for forgiveness, and also asking Jesus for the motivation, the inspiration to move forward into being the person, the people church that God desires for us to be in this year. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do want to thank you for the gift of new beginnings. We realize that every day can be a new beginning because of what Christ has done for us on the cross. We're thankful for the life that he lived. We're thankful for the death that he died. We're thankful for your resurrection power that brought him back from the grave and the fact that he's living today and advocating for us. Father, we humbly come before you asking you to please transform us, to help us to become the people that you've called us to be. We recognize this morning this is only possible because of the gift of the Holy Spirit, that we cannot do it on our own, that we don't have the willpower, the capability, 
but may we surrender to the Spirit and walk in, the spirit, in step with the Spirit. And may at the end of this year, may we be able to look back and say we look a whole lot different than we did at the beginning of the year because of the work of the Spirit and our cooperation with Him this very year. Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you for the work that you're doing in this place. And I pray that your name will be praised above all other names. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you.